0: Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast, where we have deep and honest conversations about healing, awakening, spirituality and wellness on this sacred journey of conscious motherhood. We ask how we can walk this path in a way that nourishes, elevates and heals us and our children. We deserve space and time to slow down and tune in to our hearts to heal ourselves, and to honour our highest callings. It starts with us. I'm Nahanda Truscott-Reed. I'm a mother, holistic wellness coach, writer and speaker, and I am passionate about all of the ways we can raise our consciousness and come into more alignment and power as women and mothers, so we can heal the past and make more empowered choices for the future. Our stories and voices matter. It is my intention that these conversations inspire, motivate and move you on your own Soul Mama journey. I'm so honored that you're here. This week, I'm speaking to Kelly Palmer, also known on Instagram as the Peace-Filled Mama. She is a coach, a writer, a wellness advocate, and a community organizer, committed to using the tools and philosophies of yoga to cultivate liberation, joy, and peace for herself and for others. Her connection to the living practice of yoga, a path of mindful wellness and self-realization, is what really fuels her work. It impacts her life and propels her to want to share it with others, through her writing, her events, her guest teaching, and more. She remains focused on making this healing practice accessible to all people, connecting to communities that are normally excluded or ignored in mainstream wellness circles. Being a mother of two liberated souls has created a point of focus that brings these tools to the way she is mothering them and also calling her to share this with all parents. Through in-person and online offerings, she centers her work on making these connections with authentic and sustainable tool building. We talk about her commitment to breaking old generational patterns, her liberatory approach to life, discipline, and parenting, and how she manages the opinions and expectations of others along the way. I found Kelly's approach so refreshing and yet so reassuring, and I'm sure you will too. So welcome Kelly Palmer to the Soul Mama podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be joining you. So I came across your work firstly through your beautiful photos and captions that you share on Instagram. And your name is Peace-Filled Mama. And I just wondered, how did that even come about? Because that in and of itself is an affirmation. I was like, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> um, well, thank you. I a stranger gave me that name. I met this woman in Target. She had a baby and her baby was crying. And every time I would pass her, in the aisle, she would apologize to me for her baby crying. And so after about the third time I said to her like, are you pinching your baby? And she kind of laughed and was like, no. But you know, that story we have in our minds about parents like not wanting to inconvenience other people with our children. And so I just had a talk with her about how being a mother, this role of caretaker of another person is really um, for me, reflection of our yoga practice in terms of having this sense withdrawal to pay attention and have this single point of focus on this person who is doing the one thing that they can do for their survival, which is cry and how she didn't need to apologize to me and like focus on what her baby needed. And like all of these grownups in target can figure it out because the baby is just making baby noise. And we ended up having a really good, rich conversation about what it would mean to release. The story she had about what other people were expecting for her, and she shared, you know, it's her first baby. There's just a lot of pressure um, to get it right. And so we sat and talked. Her baby needed to nurse, and I stood there with her uh, because she didn't really feel comfortable nursing in the store. But they had this rocking chair glider display. I'm like, use the display, nurse your baby. And then we parted ways. And a couple of weeks later, um, I was on my bicycle with my children. I bike commute, and Someone's beeping. And when I looked, it was the woman and her partner um, in their car. And they, the husband or her partner rolled the window down and said to me like, oh, you saved her life the other day in Target. She just hasn't stopped talking about you. And just everything you shared with her has just shifted her experience. We've been calling you the peace-filled mama. And I was in the middle of trying to rebrand this blog that I'd had since probably 10 years before I became a mother, and It was just like, well, that's the name. And so I've just been going from there. And, um, you know, sometimes it comes back to bite me because my six-year-old will, you know, do a thing. (laughs) I will not respond necessarily in the way that I try to in practice. And he'll say to me, like, that's not very peace-filled. Kids definitely have a way
0: of calling us out, right? Right,
1: right, right. But I thank him for the reminder. It gives me a chance to like pause and catch my breath and do the things that I'm coaching other mothers to do.
0: Exactly, exactly. And that what a beautiful story. It, being able to relieve that sense of overwhelm and pressure and responsibility that so many of us, you know, with newborns especially, can attest to. You know, I remember just the that feeling of like, oh my gosh, like this tiny human is relying on me for everything. And yet we add the extra pressure of society's expectations on us as women. Um, mm. And so I wondered, you know, a lot of what you talk about is about motherhood as a practice. I wondered if you could speak a little bit more to what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, I, so it really starts with something that my mom used to say to me when I was first um, navigating, like six years ago, essentially, uh, having this new baby. And she's like, your baby has never had a mother before. Mm. So he doesn't know which means that you get to choose like what, how you're going to show up and what you're going to do. And I feel really fortunate because, you know, no one's perfect. Um, and my mother really made some conscious choices to parent us differently than how she had been parented based on how that made her feel. Hmm. And one of those things was that she has never hit us and she did not yell. Wow. And so it put me in a space to feel uh, very strongly about physical violence in all relationships, but also it just held this space for me to parent from a place of wanting to be in connection with my child. And so, Um, when I say parenthood as a practice, it's like you have all of these societal things going on, stories about how you're supposed to be as a mother, stories about culturally how you're supposed to show up as a mother, stories about, uh, your children and their outcome being your complete responsibility. And that's a lot of pressure when you add things like health, uh, access to resources, Uh, being in underestimated communities, not having community around you, and like if you don't know how to feed your children or like how you're going to feed them, all of that pressure can seem like a lot, and if we are being intentional moment by moment in making choices around like how will I speak to this person, and how will I view them, Um, how will I create space for them and for me at the same time? To me, it has to be a practice. It's like we won't get it right every single time. And also we can stay connected and committed to our intention to show up positively and to honor liberation and to honor ancestry and to honor the space of like activism within our motherhood. And that isn't something that we get right in every moment. It's just like the practice is pausing and, and saying like, what do I want to create for myself because, you know, we're very much encouraged to lose ourselves. What do I want to create for myself? And also, what do I want to hold space for, for this other person? That's what parenting is to me. It's holding space for another person, even though we're taught that it's all these other things.
0: Mm, Thank you for sharing that. That just resonated deep in my bones. I was literally like, yes, because often... It feels like you're going along such a fast kind of roller coaster ride, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, so much is happening to us that it's like, you know, it's we're in the eye of a storm. And so many of, of my personal practices that I know that I had developed before motherhood felt like they went straight out the window when I had right. a <laughs> baby. I was literally like, woo namaste what? Like right. um, at my ends. like, like the end of my tether. And it was this sense of losing control. And I think a lot of the mindful practices or the kind of conscious awareness choices, you know, that feels like it's done in the luxury of, of space and time and peace and rest and silence, you know, and the kind of Mm -hmm. The space of motherhood as, as we know it, you know, many of us aren't in the space of a village being supported and held. Some of us are mothering solo. And so that, that kind of potential drain on energy, um, really kind of compromises any potential practices you may have even held before. Right. So how do you navigate those moments of like, ah, I'm feeling the furthest thing from peace right now? Right. So one of
1: my teachers, uh, Nikki Myers, uh, is a black woman here in the United States who created Yoga for 12 Step in Recovery. Um, I recently took her training and in the training, she says that all of the feelings that we feel, all of the discomfort, all of the unease that we feel is because we are time traveling. We're either living in the past or we're projecting into the future. And the only work, the only point of the practice is to bring us to the present moment. And so for me, to answer your question, when I feel this overwhelm, this like complete disaster, chaos, just a mess, I come back to the practice of my breath because it's available to me at any moment. Hmm. And I come back to the tools that I have available. And so like one of them is asking myself, like, what story am I telling? Hmm. Okay. The house is a mess. I have company coming. I'm trying to clean up, but I'm definitely not going to be done before my company arrives. My house is still going to look kind of like disarray. That makes me want to yell at my children and like tell them to get somewhere and sit down. And then I have to say like, what story am I telling myself? Are people going to think less of me because there are toys on the floor? Surely these people know children live here. These children are going to be here when they come and they're probably bringing children with them, which means my house is going to be even messier by the time they leave. Like, Is there, do I really need to make it perfect and spotless? Or is that a story I'm holding and how can I release it? Even when we're talking about getting our children to obey, Mm -hmm. which isn't a goal of mine, but I understand that that is something that's really ingrained in us, especially Black people across the diaspora who've been the victims of colonization and enslavement and displacement. There's this space of making sure that our children obey. Because generationally, this is how we could for ourselves feel like we had some control over their safety. Mm. So I understand that. And I try to liberate myself in all ways of feeling like I have any control over these two people. Wow. And so, like what you said a few minutes ago around like the children came and then you lost the sense, you lost control. And it's like, no, we were just just reminded that we actually didn't control anything to begin with. It was all an illusion that we controlled ourselves, that we controlled other people. And like, we can control the practices that we impart, but even like the way your stories are going to come up, the way your trauma manifests, you don't control all of it because you don't even understand all of it. Mm. Some of the trauma we carry happened hundreds of years ago, four or five generations ago. You cannot fully even conceptualize what is like in your body epigenetics tells us that and so we don't control any of it we do though get to say i'm gonna pause while putting them in a car seat while they melt down in the store while the house is a mess i had somebody throw up in my mouth a few weeks ago in the middle of the night (laughs) oh wow motherhood is the thing that dreams are made of (laughs) But all of it is an opportunity for me to be like, okay, what is the story that I'm telling myself? I know this child ate plant based food today, so this throat can't be that toxic, even though it feels completely disgusting. (laughs) And I have everything I need to get it cleaned up and to move on with the night at two o'clock in the morning in a peaceful way. But if we are not, if we don't have access to people, Who can remind us that you don't have to get it right every time, Um, that you must just stay connected to your intention and be very vigilant around reining yourself in, it ends up in having this harmonious, although not always comfortable, exchange with this other person who doesn't actually belong to you came through you they're here for their own experience and so it's like we have to release these stories around like well I have to make sure they look clean I know when my children are clean it's at seven o'clock to 745 because he just took a bath and getting ready for bed. After that, all bets are off. I don't know if they're clean or not. I've done my, I've done my due diligence exactly, but how they choose to navigate it. And because I know the two children who live with me, they probably are not, unless they go straight to bed, they're not even going to bed clean because they're going to like take a marker and put a tattoo or like <laughs> eat jelly and have it on their face and I just, I believe in ease. Mm. And so in all ways, I try to think about how can I create ease for myself in this moment? And because I'm co-creating with them, and I know them best of anyone in this particular lifetime, in what ways can I cultivate ease for them also? Mm. Can I lower my voice? Can I honor that a three-year-old has a better understanding of what they crave to eat than I actually do? Can I honor that a five year old is logically, in his five year old experience, afraid of monsters being in his room? Like, this is that is real to him. And while it is very uncomfortable for me, in what ways can I create ease for both of us? And what I've come to know in the six years that I've been a mother is that that's not going to look like anything that I'm being socialized around in terms of motherhood, it's going to look like the opposite of that in so many ways. And that can feel hard, but I feel like I'm cultivating community online through people like you, through real time connections and through just knowing that like, this is my life, this is my house. And if that means that children are naked running around, I'm cool with that. At my house. And it doesn't really matter what other people think of what we are cultivating over here Mm -hmm. because it feels like ease to me. And it and that's not to say that it's easy all the time. It's hard, like 92 percent of the time. It just it just is. You're dealing with another person who's having their own experience. Exactly. So I go back to the fact of like as a mother. It's my job to hold space. Mm. How can I provide safety right now? How can I make sure you know you're seen? How can I meet your basic needs? Some of which you don't even understand without it being this, like, I'm the overlord who has the, like, some people will be like, "Well, well, I mean, as a mother, you still have the final say. And I'm like, no, actually I don't. I have a lot of tools around manipulation that they don't really understand. And also I don't want them growing up feeling like manipulation is the way that you coexist with another person.
0: Exactly. And yet that's what we see so often in society as accepted as the norm. And I think once we start that kind of unlearning, that kind of unraveling, like what I found in my own experience, and it would be great to hear if that's the same for you, but it's kind of, it leads to everything. Like it just kind of starts pulling apart, like all of the fabrics of the structures of like, what we're supposed to be doing um, and how we're supposed to be doing it and what expectations are put on us as women and what expectations are put on us as women of color. and How are our children supposed to behave or look or speak or sound or, you know? And then you're like, actually, why am I feeding them at these times? why am I feeding them what I'm feeding them? Why do we wear these clothes? Like, like, and then I found that it can get to a space of like, I just need to go and live like on my own somewhere in the wilderness, like off grid, because I can't function in the world. and still have these, you know, radical ideas or so-called radical ideas of what, Conscious living looks like, especially when you're introducing that to to children who come as part of a, a wider family and another community that perhaps right. have an investment in how that should look. You know, right, right. How have you balanced that? Well, it's a big job. Like I said, ninety two percent of the time, it's complicated
1: um, because you are just one part of the community. Hopefully, that is invested in the success of your children. And there's this, unfortunately, Western culture says that there's two parents and those two people are responsible. And then you have some auxiliary family members and ancestrally, at least I know for myself that that's not what was being practiced before colonization and enslavement. Mm -hmm. There was a wide group of people who cared for the children, but also cared for the mother. And it doesn't exist. And so you see us like returning to things like doula care and midwifery. And you have what I think are pockets of awakening for parents, especially black and indigenous people of color. You have this awakening that what we have bought into as parenting is actually harmful and not in alignment with who we are. And so when we start to, like you said, unpack those things, it's complex because you may have parents who parented you one way and then you want to parent in a different way. And when they ask you about it, you tell them like, well, you know, parenting in this way creates this and this and this and this. And instead of being open to the fact that life is expanding and our access to liberation is expanding. So that's why we can change and shift our parenting views. They get very much an ego and feel like you're attacking what they did Ah. or Mm. how they showed up or what they didn't do. And so it can be tricky because then you have this pressure to like, conform to family and i go back to just focusing on my intention who i'm actually responsible for mm. in those moments and it's never the other adults that are in the space and you know it can come up like um i had an instance once and it was with family and someone that i love and care for but my children don't know this person you know what i mean they've maybe seen them once or twice in their lifetime they may not have access to those memories and so this person wanted affection and my child didn't want to give that affection and he is a person that he he likes to like fill the room out before he, but once he's there, he's there, but he just needs to fill out the space, check out the people. And he's been like that since he was a very small baby.
0: And that should be our prerogative, but yet (laughs) there are these societal norms of expectation. And how did you, how did you navigate that?
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily the most pleasant conversation because I had to say like, he's not open to it. And so we're not going to force him. And their feelings were hurt and they shared that their feelings were hurt and they felt like that was disrespectful. And I just shared that we live in a world where people's agency over their bodies is uh, not respected. Which is how you come to know that so many people have been physically, sexually, and mentally assaulted by people that they trusted. Exactly. And people that they didn't trust, but it's because we undervalue people's right to say what is okay in, around, and for their bodies. Yeah. And so I can't undo all of the damage that grown ups do. I can work on the stories that I have about my own agency and my own body. And also, I don't believe that our children come here as empty slates. I believe they come here as school vessels, and thus, in parenting, we are only holding space for them to remain as connected to divine sources as possible. And part of that is teaching them that they have agency over their body. Yes, but also, like we don't know who they grow up to be, we don't know who they grow up to love. And what what I would not want to do is create a person who feels that if they are bigger or have more access to resources than another person, that that means they can negate someone else's agency.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: they are learning and unlearning that from us in every moment. And that's not to say that I get it right every time. Mm -hmm. I also, though, feel like like yoga, like a yoga practice, you don't just say, I'm going to practice yoga, roll out your mat, pop into an arm balance, hop into a headstand. I mean, maybe some people do because they have a history of gymnastics or whatever, but like, you have to build to this and anything could happen at any moment to knock you out of where you are in your physical practice, Mm -hmm. injury, illness, pregnancy, like all of these things. And then you still got to work your way back. And so to me, when I say motherhood is a practice, that's what I mean. We, we automatically not automatically, but you know, one moment you don't have a baby and the next moment you have a baby. And it can seem very much like the word I used and continue to use is numinous, a very numinous experience. It's amazing. It's breathtaking and completely petrifying and terrifying and soul gripping. And like all the whole spectrum of human emotion comes through in that period of like becoming a parent and we just have to commit to the practice. Like, mm-hmm. who do you want to raise? Like I ask people that all the time. Who do you want to raise? And they are not going to become that in this world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Under this societies that we live in, under these systems of oppression, they can't be that if we just hand them over to the TVs and the toys and the mm-hmm. practices that perhaps we might have experienced. I don't, I try to encourage people not to you know, there's real harm that people experience at the hands of their parents or caregivers as children growing up. And so there's healing work to do there for them so that they don't show up in those ways with their children. Yes. And the history of violence against children, especially in Black, Indigenous, people of color communities, mm-hmm. is often rooted in colonialism and, and enslavement. And it served a purpose at that time If your child's not in the right place, if they're not quiet, if they're too smart, if they're too talented, then they may be sold. They may be pulled into the house while you're still outside. They may get on a ship and you have to stay. Like there's so many things. And so we developed this survival mechanism of breaking our children before they enter the world. Yes. And it was necessary. Now. In terms of myself, there's not been a time on this continent that I live on, North America, that a Black mother has had control over the safety or agency of their child's body to this day. We still don't have that agency. But for some reason, we like to rest in the lie that we do.
0: Mm. And so
1: we will advocate for and stand up for things that don't actually respect our children's humanity because we think it will keep them safe from the world. Mm -hmm. And it's an unpopular thing, but I'm trying to say it in as many Black spaces as possible. We don't have control over their safety in regards to white supremacy. White supremacy is not ours to dismantle. That is for white people to dismantle. And we do a great disservice to their liberation and ours by breaking them for the world. hmm we cannot expect them to be change makers or to push forward in this i don't like to call it fight but in this march towards liberation mm-hmm. we do not do them any justice by breaking them and so it's hard because most of us still live in a way where we have to send them into schools and we have to like navigate workspaces and that only shifts when we change shift our mindset around it, around the fact of like, I am going to send them to school and I'm not going to use physical violence against them. And I'm not going to hold this capitalist model of productivity equaling their worth. I'm going to tell them they're worthy of my love and affection, regardless of their Mm grades. I'm going to tell them that they're beautiful and amazing dependent upon their individual gifts and talents, not what the world says are valuable gifts and talents. Mm -hmm. But we like, it's, it's like each generation has this new access to liberation that the generation before didn't have. And so like I tell my mom, thank you for the ways that you parented. Thank my grandparents because it brought us to these points and now I'm here and I get to choose how I'm going to like how I'm going to show up so that my children will then if they decide to become parents, they can then say, "Okay, my mom parented from this place and I still see the points where, you know, her stories, her healing was going on, but i'm going to take that what she built for me and i'm going to keep going further towards that liberation.
0: Yeah, exactly. And i think that's the thing is that it's conscious evolution, right? You know, so many of us get stuck in the limitations that we've kind of felt like we've had to heal from as adults and you know, we can get stuck in the stories of the models that aren't there, you know, the the community that isn't there, the support that isn't there, the structures of oppression that continue to still feel like they are very necessary, you know, whether that's work or school, um, and it that can can be a place where you almost give up your power because you're like, well, then you know, what can me one do in this home mm-hmm. when my children still have to engage with the wider world and the wider society, and I still have to pay bills and we mm-hmm. still, you know, survive in a conversation which is going to counter a lot of the things that you're going to be teaching in the home, and right. I've often felt like it's, it's more energy. It's more, um, it's like, it's more work. And I loved the word ease that you used earlier. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. ease has felt like going along with the status quo, uh, Mm -hmm. for me personally, um, especially with things like discipline, you know, there's, there was a very strong place that I started from. And I Mm -hmm. think over time I've been like, Hmm, this is going to be an ongoing battle, you know, Mm -hmm. around, how we show up for our children. And I think because there aren't many examples of what that looks like as a grown adult who hasn't experienced um, that type of parenting, sometimes it's like, I believe this is going to create an individual who's going to be amazing in the world, but you know, it's, it's not just my child. And so there right. is a sense of compromise I have found around conversations to do with school or food or discipline or, you know, affection showing even that example that you used. Um, and so I I wonder this this kind of space of creating the environment that we hold to be true and that we know that we've had to heal ourselves from and mm-hmm. also accepting that we're living in a world that still hasn't necessarily caught up to that. Like, do you feel like you have two separate conversations with your children to kind of educate them about the world whilst also saying it's not true?
1: So I think it's been ongoing. My uh, six year old is very curious about the world and about life. And he has a lot of questions and it calls me to be really honest with him in a way that maybe I didn't really experience at his same age, and that maybe makes other people uncomfortable because I'll tell them anything. We just had a whole conversation about cuss words because he likes cooking shows and there are a lot of them on Netflix, but most of them have cuss words. And so it's very like, he went through all the ones that didn't and he really wanted to watch this other cooking show, but I already knew the particular chef. And I'm like, he says cuss words all the time. So let us just go ahead and have a conversation around the fact that these words are deemed curse words, which means that it would make other grown ups, like your grandma, your school teachers, very uncomfortable for them to hear you say it. Additionally, I don't really think that I have a good way of explaining what these words mean. And I don't think it's a good idea to use words that you don't know the meaning of. Because you could cause harm to people by saying a thing that you think is harmless, but it may feel harmful to another person. And so, like, let's be clear about using words that you know the meaning of. Mm. And so when you hear these curse words on this show, you can't say them. Like, it just, like, don't. It'll just make your life easier if you don't, just don't. And when you're older and you have like more wisdom and more experience in life, maybe these are words you use and maybe they're words that you don't use. And he said, oh, okay. Do you use curse words? Well, the fact that he's (laughs) asking. Right. And I said, sometimes when I'm really mad or... When I'm telling a funny joke and I think that a curse word will be funny, I'll use a curse word. Or when I'm talking to particular people, I said, but you'll notice I never say curse words to Gigi, which Mm. is what my mom is called. And he was like, but you're a grown up. I said, I know, but I just think Gigi would have a lot of feelings about me using curse words. And it doesn't matter to me that much. So I don't really like I don't I don't make it a big deal to be able to use them in front of her. And so it's interesting because my children, my plan was for my children to be homeschooled. Mm. Um, I, I really believe in self-directed education and um, Akila Richards is a big part of like me awakening to that. I mean, I always was open to them being like homeschooled, but Akila just, she brilliant. I just really.
0: I've just, actually interviewed her on the podcast, so uh, okay. I definitely had to go in on the whole kind of integration of theory versus practice you know when you have those conversations of like this is what would make the most sense based on what I believe and based on what I perceive to be the the fallout of not doing it that way and yet I still find myself in a situation where I haven't managed to make that work yeah right
1: yeah it's hard because like for myself um I'm not in a relationship with the father of my children. And my children travel between our two homes during the week. We have a split custody shift. We don't live very far from one another, but they are still living in two very different homes for half of the week. Right, And so that particular process, which is actually like a new space for us, only like a year old, has had so many lessons around me releasing, even with everything I'm saying, realizing that I had a lot of stories about being able to know what they ate, where they went, Mm -hmm. who they saw, the music they listened to, the shows they watched, what was being said to them. It's an illusion because they are not ours. We are holding the space for them to eventually go out into the world in whatever way that looks like. And This process of my children being out in the world has just begun a little more soon than what I anticipated. And so my older son actually is enrolled in what would be considered a traditional school this year. He went to kindergarten. Because I felt like, and under the advice of his therapist, because he started going to therapy when we separated, Mm -hmm. was that he needed some things that were stable points. And school felt like something stable, regardless of whose house he's at. He still has to go to school, has the same lunchbox, he wears a uniform, all these things. And I have been affirmed in my belief around self directed education because he still knows how to advocate for himself and his needs within that particular system. And we are able to have conversations around what school says Mm. and what mom believes and what he can decide for himself about these two varied, because I don't even like to say opposite, but these two varied perspectives. And I feel like just being honest with him around, he shared something with me around boys, boys. like what boys can do and what, what girls can do. And it was new. It was like, that was a new conversation for us. And I said to him, but actually like anyone can do anything. And he said to me, I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm saying that's what some other boys at the school say.
0: Right. And so there's that discernment.
1: Yeah. So he like is in the knowing that it's okay to go his own path or have his own beliefs around that. And so I just, again, I come back to staying committed to my intention because I don't control any of it. I don't even control like, yes, we hold in our mind that we are raising babies that will become an adult. Mm. That's not the reality for a lot of people. These people can depart days, weeks, months, years after they enter this earth. And so what is the intention? Is it to have ease? Is it for them to know that regardless of how they show up in the world, they'll be loved by you? That you're yes. a safe place to land. If that's the intention, then that's the intention, and we just lean into it in every moment. Yeah. I, uh, Palmer, which is the oldest child, he has good grades. He is a really quick study. He's very curious, um, and that is highly rewarded in traditional school environments. Yeah. And we recently got you know progress reports or whatever, and He has like the top marks that you can have in their program. I'm not surprised. I know this person. He really loves to learn. Yeah. And also, we're not going to celebrate that. What I will celebrate, though, is in the comments where your teacher says that you're a good listener Mm -hmm. and that you're kind and that you try to be helpful in all the ways that you can and that you're great at self-regulating. These are the things that I want to celebrate because there will come a time where you won't make the highest mark. And I don't want you to do what I do, which is question my worth because I didn't make enough money, enough people didn't sign up for a retreat. Like, you know, we as adults hold these stories and yes. I hold the space that like you're worthy of love and affection and care, regardless of how you show up in the
0: world. Yeah. And that is so powerful because I feel like as adults like that's what everything boils down to. You spoke about therapy and most of us who have access and privilege to be able to access that are unpacking these ideas of not enoughness, right? And that is being completely conditioned to us through these oppressive systems of capitalism, Mm -hmm. patriarchy, sexism, (laughs) racism. And, you know, our parents are a part of that as well, you know, even if that wasn't the experience in the home. And so I think it's that, Uh, the attempt to really become conscious of the things that we believe and why, like why Mm -hmm. those stories are in place and why they're important and what, whether we want to continue them or not. Like that for me is definitely the opportunity that motherhood brings. It's like, it's like a whole awakening on how you've lived up until this point and like an opportunity to lift the veil. And I've spoke about this on the podcast before, but, you know, lift the veil on the things that we've just come to accept and really start questioning that in a really powerful way, because now we're dealing with a new life who doesn't have to take on all of those things. Um, And so I love that you have this kind of parallel education going on. Um, And I think that, you know, parents of, of children of color, I feel like that's even more important to be able to gift our children with that awareness that, you know, systems and societies will say one thing, but know that the truth in this house and for you is another. Mm. And it doesn't mean you don't conform. It doesn't mean, you know, you don't, you don't potentially celebrate the successes that that society is giving you, but just know that there's another value system that we're also honoring here. Right. Um, mm. and, and that alternative I feel is just going to be so healing um to the next generation and ourselves because we we're reparenting ourselves in that same in that same yeah. way.
1: I mean, I had this recent experience with um him at school, a note was sent home because he was sharing his work with the other people at the table where he sits. And so I said to him in a separate conversation that it's important to know that resources are not equitably distributed in the, in the environments that we live in. There are some people who have houses and there are some people who don't. There are people who have food and there are people who don't. And that's not right. And it's our work to try to make things more equitable. So while your teacher will not advocate for you sharing answers... What I will tell you is that to be in community with other people is to share your understandings with them. And they can learn from that just as well as they can learn from figuring it out on their own. And it probably wasn't popular. I talked about it on my social media platform a little bit around like school teaches children to compete for resources. Of course. And I don't think we should have to compete for resources at all, at all, not even one little bit. And this notion that some children are smarter than others, it's like they all have different access points to knowledge and information and talent sets. I can see that just in the two people that I'm parenting. The way they engage information, the way they use information is different. And I understand why teachers feel so burdened. They're working within a very oppressive system that asks them to separate from their humanity to herd these children like cattle towards the information that governing bodies have decided are most important.
0: It's important. Yeah.
1: And so I see teachers trying to like push back against those systems and they still uphold a lot of things that, like you said, that's not true in our house. And so I said to him at school, you have to find a different way to be helpful to your friends with their homework with their classwork, because the way that you want to support them isn't supported at school. Mm. However, out in the world, how mama interacts with people is that I hold information that another person needs. I readily provide them with that information. If it means that they can get a different like perspective or have access to their own like understanding of what success looks like in that moment. Like, we should be give, freely giving away some things yeah. because it releases this, like, you know, it, it's complex because we're really caught up in money. And I like money, too, because it pays my bills. And also, some bills shouldn't exist. Water? We need water. Why are we paying Definitely. for water?
0: So feel you on that. It feels like living in living in a parallel universe. You know, like like a real, that once you've had that kind of light bulb moment, or maybe it's a gradual awakening, however it's experienced, there's that sense of discord with the status quo. And I remember feeling this complete fallout, which meant that I didn't feel like I could even go back to my job and show up in the way that I used to. You know, Mm. like all of a sudden the things that meant something to me before didn't mean anything to me anymore. And yet Mm. bills still need to be paid. Right. Right. So there's like a why can't we as mothers now go into this commune where we don't have to abide (laughs) by these like ridiculous rules? Because it's like all of a sudden the humanity comes back. And you realize like love is the highest vibrational force that is, you know, that's what matters. And my ability to be able to give love and receive love is, is the only thing that should be supported right now. That, that's how life should be measured and filtered. And it, and it isn't, you know,
1: right. I think uh, there's a, a Zen Buddhist teacher here in the U.S., Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. And I don't believe they have children, but I'm not completely sure. But they led a conference that I went to that was around like race, equity and like healing. And something that they said that I like carry with me constantly in this space and then every other space where I'm doing work or occupying is that the solutions to the problems that exist don't yet exist. The solutions aren't here else we wouldn't have the problems. And part of what keeps us like in the stranglehold is people passing these stories that we talked about this indoctrination this socialization that this is how things are and this is how they will continue to be. And so I I try to remember that when I'm parenting that if I parent them from a place for them to really really truly be their full selves, mm. really truly see other people as whole beings, and like honor other people and question, really question, even from a deeper place than me, these systems, they hold the keys to solutions that I can't even conceptualize I because I'm too indoctrinated. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like I was having a conversation with um, my Three year old, he's obsessed with bath bombs. They're like his thing. He doesn't want to make them. He feels like that's a treat that he should get. And I indulge him. We go to Target. He's a good listener. I let him get a bath bomb. He comes home. He takes a bath. He luxuriates in the tub. That's self care right there. I know. It's the middle of the day. He's like at 11 o'clock, he's just like in the tub with a bath bomb. But he wanted this bath bomb that was like $8. And I was like, dude, I did not find that to be a good value. Especially because there are bath bombs right here that are $3. Right. I don't really understand why we would pay $8. And he said, I don't understand why we have to pay any dollars. Right. And I'm like, you're right. Exactly. I (laughs) I don't understand it either. And so we just ended up having a conversation about the fact that the way that we live right now is that there are goods and there are services. And to have access to those goods and services, most people, require an exchange of energy. Mm -hmm. And the energy that we're talking about right now is money. And so that's, you know, different people's energy is valued based on how much money. And he was kind of looking at me like, I don't really understand all the. It might be a bit deep for
0: free, but
1: still. But also it was like me talking myself through it too. Yeah. Around like, there are spaces and places where I need to be compensated for my energy. Yeah. Because to be able to have a place to sleep and food to eat, I then have to exchange currency with someone. Exactly. But in what ways could we shift that? In what ways can that be different? In what ways am I valuing money when I should really be valuing a different resource? Um so it's like it's all a practice of like explaining that thing to the kids, but it really helps you to like re
0: reevaluate the story.
1: Right. Yeah, why do I believe that? Why don't I We have like a lot of, you know, the holiday season.
0: Yes, that's been a conversation in my home as well.
1: Having conversations around, you know, I understand that people have their traditions that they want to uphold and do the things. Also, I have a problem telling my children that if they behave well, a white man will come into our house and give them gifts.
0: There is a problem with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a problem with that. Exactly. exactly. Um, Just like I have a problem with Elf on the Shelf. I have a problem with telling my children they're being surveilled and that this other person is watching them all the time and deciding whether or not they're worthy of the things they desire.
0: Yes. And there's so much power in these stories that we perceive as innocent. Right. And right. it's like, oh, but it's just some fun for the kids. And it's like, no, but where where are these symbols and myths coming from that none of us are yet willing to unpack them and create create joy and, and specialness in other ways? You know, <laughs> you can still have tradition, you can still have culture, you can still have, you know, these things that children look forward to why not make it be based on something true first of all and second of all something that's representative of them rather than writing them out of every story you know my my husband recently pulled up the barbie series on on netflix or amazon or wherever it's at um because my daughter really wants to watch them and he's like this is not life. This is not real. And the perceptions of beauty, the standards of living—you know, just the just the surface level of of reality that they're living—is not what I want for you. And that's why I don't want you to watch it. And she's like, I don't care about all of that. I, I want to watch it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, oh, these these conversations are getting real, real quick. She's right. four years old, and we're starting to have to really decide. You know, what? Where do we stand on things? What's What's most important, and when is it appropriate to have these conversations? because I think one of my fears was that I didn't want to create a picture of the world as being this oppressive place that she needs to be guarded up against, because so many of us are also so armored and so ready for a fight that we don't allow ourselves to even you know soften into being able to receive love or be vulnerable and so there's this need for her or this desire, I I would say, for her to stay soft and to stay innocent Mm -hmm. whilst also giving her the tools that she will need at some point to navigate. Um, And so I think that that whole kind of feeling through is like, it definitely is a practice.
1: It's a delicate balance because you want to preserve the joy of childhood. And also like, I often have this conversation with white parents That it's dangerous for me not to explain to my children that the police aren't your friend. These are just other humans with a uniform on. And so you should respect them as human beings, but they have no more authority over you than another person. Mm -hmm. And so like advocate for your physical rights, advocate for your legal rights, be aware of your legal rights. And also like don't feel like you have to cower or bend because this person has on a uniform. And at the same time, I know how I feel when the police pull me over or I have to interface with them, whether I'm the victim or the perpetrator or whatever term they want to put on you in the moment. Like this particular institution is not designed for my safety. And I'm like, as white parents, maybe you don't have to talk about that with your children. Mm -hmm. But as black parents, that's something that we have to talk about. I mean, and It is a cruel irony to be the person to know what brings joy to your child and also have to explain to them the wickedness of the world and see a little bit of that light kind of dim. But what my grandfather used to say to me all the time is, don't be afraid, be aware. And I take that a bit further and say that like from awareness, we have options. And I really link liberation to choice. And when we don't give our children a clear picture of the world, we take their choices. And it's a form of manipulation that doesn't serve them. Mm -hmm. And so I know that the world is terrible. There are horrible people that do horrible things. There's been legacies of murder, genocide, oppression, rape, enslavement that have ruined complete populations of people. Yeah. And still... I find time to make art and eat delicious food and dance and laugh and make love and have fun and enjoy the beach and do all these other things while still like railing against the patriarchy. And so it's like, we have to release this illusion that the truth will harm them when really the truth gives the space for them to grow up and really be free and to not live in an illusion that will certainly be shattered for them. It will certainly be shattered. And there are shows that my children have loved and I've had to say to them, when you are an adult, if you still want to watch that show, it will be available to you. I love that one. I might have to store it. Yeah. I mean, I use that all the time. That will be available to you as an adult. And when you, have, when you are out in the world making your own choices about safety and media and all that, if you choose to watch that, you can. But I'm going to tell you right now why I don't want you to watch that show why that doesn't feel good to me, why what it's telling you is not true. And sometimes there's pushback. My children really love Rescue Bots. I do not like that show at all. It puts police as this grand authority. They label certain people as villains. And what I see as an adult is there's an inequitable access to resources on this show. And people are being punished for trying to have access to the resources that this other group is hoarding.
0: Which it sounds like the reality that we're living in. Right? Yes. But they
1: can't see that as three-year-olds. Of course, of course. And so what I had to say to them is that I don't like this show because it tells you things that I know as a grown-up are not true. true. And so I don't want you to watch it. Mm. Pick something else. And when you're a grown-up, if you still want to watch Rescue Bots, you can. And they fought me, fought me, fought me for a while. But what I do is, I always offer them choices. And I I feel very fortunate to have children who will watch TV, but that's not their first pick for engagement. Right. And so I'll say to them, like, you could watch Rescue Bots, or like, you could play Hungry, Hungry Hippos with me. <laughs> and like, that's more fun than watching a show.
0: What they really do want is our presence at the end of the day. And I think if, if we are able to give that in a, in a, you know, a pure and loving way, um, then that's the, that's the food that they're really craving. You know, the, the rest of it is just kind of stop holders. Um, so before we kind of wrap, cause I know we're kind of coming to time. Um, I wondered if you could speak a little bit about your yoga practice and how kind of decolonizing yoga as a woman of color in the whole wellness space, what that looks like for you. Um,
1: So I first became a teacher when I had a six month old. I entered training only one week. My training started one week before I gave birth. Wow. And so I've been a teacher as long as I've been a mother, but I was practicing yoga for myself for many years before that. Mm -hmm. And I really entered the practice as like this physical thing. I was like on some weight loss thing and I felt like this is going to really help me get to be the skinny size I want to be or whatever. And I quickly realized that it was much more than a physical practice. And then people around me started to notice. And for 13 years, I was a hairstylist and I worked with predominantly black people. Um, I only did natural hair. So like locks and Afros and twists and all these things. And I'm talking to my clients and they're like noticing shifts in me. And I'm like, yes, the yoga. And their immediate response is like, oh, black people don't do yoga. Like, you we know. don't. And at a certain point, I just really felt like I cannot not teach my people <laughs> this practice. And when I would ask them, like, why why wouldn't you go? Like my mother, she's like, I'm not going to let some skinny white girl, half my age, tell me what to do with my body. Like she don't know my body. She don't understand my body. And so I decided to become a teacher. And while I teach any and everyone, I am very much connected to making sure that black people have access to wellness modalities beyond yoga, but like mindfulness, meditation, Reiki, like all of these things that I know hold the space for us to more deeply connect to who we are Mm. energetically and To return to some of our ancestral practices that were stolen from us during the transport from continent Africa all the way over to you know, every part of the Caribbean every part of South America North America and into Europe into India like we were like dispersed all over the world and we lost What connected us to each other and to ourselves and I know that this practice brings us back to that and so um when I teach classes, I try to make them as accessible physically, financially, locationally. Like I try to make them accessible in every way that I can. And then also I just advocate for that in every single space, in every room that I'm in. You know, it's like, I always know when people are waiting on me to say white supremacy is coming, it's coming, <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. Because I'm like, it's the system that gives birth to all the other things. It is. So let us stop treating it like the elephant in the room. Let me just go ahead and say white supremacy. um, It's oppressing all of us, even the white people. And, you know, like in my own city, I started a nonprofit in 2018 to provide spaces for black people to have access. We quickly realized that, trying to just hold space was too much work for us as individuals. There's five of us in this nonprofit. And so this year we've shifted our gears and we've been working all year. We want to be funders of like, okay, you are coming and you're bringing your podcast and your offerings to the U.S. How can we financially make that happen? Because we know what you're doing is going to benefit. And how can we make sure you're paid? And then the people who need to attend don't have to pay. Right. And so doing that, really, it's this whole cooperative economics to make sure that you have the resources that you need to sustain your life as a teacher or service provider, but also making sure that the people who need the service don't have to deplete their resources to have access to this thing. And in that way we move money, but then there are some of us in this community who do have access to resources. How can you share those resources so that we can just continue to move that within our own community?
0: That's so interesting. In an equitable
1: way. so we're like, we're still hashing all of that out, but I'm really excited Because even in our first year, without us even, we fundraised for 90 days and raised over $10,000. Wow. Which was like, we had like 80 people or organizations give us money. So it's like, now that we're really clear on our focus and we're about to like re-announce how we want to move in the world. And probably by the time this um, airs, we'll already have started fundraising and started announcing It just feels good to be able to say like, oh, okay, so you want to come and offer programming for mothers of color. How much money do you need to make that happen? Okay, how many mothers of color can we put into the space for free so that they don't have to feel, and how can we make sure they have childcare during that time and food provided? And like, this to me is equity, not this like, well, we'll give you a scholarship if you like, Lay down all your porn, all your trauma porn about all the ways that life has been unfair to you. How about this person just deserves access because they want access?
0: Just because, exactly. Oh my gosh, that is just, just ticking so many boxes of the the kind of conversations that I've been having internally around even just the work that I do with Soul Mama, you know, the women that I serve. You know, when women say to me, you know, I, I don't have enough money for that session next week. And I'm like, I want to give you the session for free. Like I I don't want that money from you potentially, but at the same time, I know that I also have to keep the the light bill going, you know? And so it's like, where else can I free up some of that um, income so that the women who need my support the most can receive it. And the women who can afford to pay more, potentially they pay more, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's all of our work to be like pulling that apart. And so I'm really I personally and as an organization, we're really excited about shifting gears in that way because just locally, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's like in the southern part of the U.S. Mm -hmm. Just locally, there are so many dynamic women of color who do this work Mm. and just people of color who do this work. Why should we like reinvent the wheel with our own offerings when we can just support you? and then ask you, like, you have access to people with money, ask them to give us the money so we can distribute the money more equitably. Um, And, you know, the conversations are interesting. Some people don't really believe in what we're doing, even within our own community, or have doubts about the sustainability of it. And I go back to what I said, the solution to the problem does not yet exist. And we aren't going to find it within those same systems. We've got to reinvent and reimagine what it means to pay people to allow people to into spaces without charging them to allow people to self-select around what they're willing and able to contribute to something because like that's if, if a person's taking advantage that's not my karma to take on i know what my intention was i know what i held space for and so I'm just excited about that work um, along with like continuing to work with mothers and just, I actually end up working with a lot of people who aren't mothers because I am really connected to showing people their access points to their own liberation.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much. How can people reach you if they want to follow more what you're doing and find out more?
1: So my website is Mama. Uh so that's where I have a blog space that's where I offer recs for other books Um, I host webinars there online offerings are there and then any like in-person things that I have are always listed there and then I'm Peacefield Mama Everywhere on Instagram on Facebook I have a page but I also have a private Facebook uh, community group where we just talk about all the things and it is a space that centers Black and Indigenous mothers of color, although I allow anyone to be in the space, they Mm -hmm. just have to be really clear that this space centers our experience, because I feel like our voice is ignored, and it's great to, like, talk amongst ourselves, but then we're, like, in an echo chamber, and I'm like... If your partners, your male-identified partners, aren't hearing these things and seeing these things, how do we shift culture? If the white mothers that we surely have to be in community with, if we're going to be out in the world, aren't hearing yeah. these things, how do we how do we shift culture? And so um, I'm really proud of how the group has engaged, because the people who are not the centered population are very respectful of mm. not jumping in and inserting their privilege or power in these conversations and just really listening. Oftentimes you'll like have a long thread and you'll have a male identified person come in the comments and say like, thank you guys for your openness and transparency. Like this shifts how I'm going to engage with my partner when I leave work today. And I'm like, yes, this was the work.
0: Exactly. Because the work is having people who aren't aware become aware, not just who are aware, you know, talking about it. So that's that's really beautiful. And I always
1: say, like, jokingly, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Color Purple. But yes, I have. There's a part in there where Celie tells Mr. like, everything you do going to fail till you do right by me. And that's how I feel about motherhood. I'm like, until the world does right by motherhood, everything else in the world is going to fail. Exactly. It is the thing that brings everything together. Because even if people decide not to, even if a person decides not to be a parent, They're still in community with children and every single person has been mother. Even the most terrible people. Mm-hmm. Just the way that they were mothered may have held space for a whole lot of evil to come forth mm. instead of a whole lot of good. And so it's me like if we shift, yeah, if we shift and make actual community and culture around mothers to say, like mm. like to me, there's not a reason why a mother should have to work to feed their children. Mm. Say it again. <laughs> Everyone agrees that children deserve food. Exactly. So why are you making the mothers work like dogs to feed them. Exactly. But most times people don't, they don't, they can't answer that question for me. I'm like, food should be free to children and their parents because they need food to live, but really it should be free to all humans. But we've monetized
0: an essential need. This is it. And I feel like that is what I understand to be revolutionary mothering. That's what I understand, you know, the healing to start coming from because you start to realize the things that don't make sense. I have some choices around how I educate my children, you know, the next generation about how this looks for them. And I thank you for sharing your journey um and for just putting your energy in such a transparent way across all of your your platforms it's a beautiful energy that just comes through just this honest you know willingness to just keep asking those questions yeah. um and if there was one thing that you would leave mothers with who may be kind of starting on the path of this conscious mothering journey what what would that one thing be
1: I think it would be to get a clear understanding of yourself and not who you were before you had children but like who you are in this moment and accept her, accept who she is and like how she has shown up and realize that your power is not in controlling your children. It's in learning to release that control and to just be present to the responsibility that is in front of you without the like projection of who they're gonna be or this reverse of living in like the past of how you've shown up or even how you were parented. What's happening right now, and what do you want right now with the person you are?
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. I'm so grateful to be in this conversation. Yes. Such a pleasure. I know. I like want to hug you and be like, let's meet for coffee. But the ocean, the grand ocean
0: sits Uh, between our coffee date one day. This is exactly what the podcast is about. It's just bringing women like us together to be able to have these conversations and hopefully inspire others to join in the conversation, too. And to start, you know, looking at their motherhood as this opportunity, you know, for healing, for growth and for evolution, because that's all what we're here for. So yes, Yes. thank you, sister. I appreciate you. you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Pleasure. Next week, I'll be speaking to Dr. Rosales Meza about decolonizing our minds and how academia nearly broke her, but how pregnancy, birth, and motherhood healed her. Until then, stay blessed. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to SoulMamaJourney.com for more resources and ways I can support you on your own conscious motherhood journey. For more inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at Coach. Also, get in touch via email. Nahanda at soulmomajourney.com. I love to hear from you what you thought what you gained please take a moment to rate this podcast wherever you've listened to it and please share with others you know who would benefit from this conversation I appreciate you thank you this podcast was produced by myself and Chris James music by my talented friend Ayana Witter-Johnson